Welcome to Newton & Co, an Eye for the Light podcast, where we put questions to photographers about their photography and their lives. I'm Chris Coe, and I'd like to introduce you to the Newton part, professional photographer, David Newton. David, over to you to introduce today's guest. Hello there, Chris. Uh, yes, indeed. Welcome to this podcast. Today, we have an incredibly interesting photographer uh, by the name of Kieran Ridley. Now, Kieran is a, uh, an English gentleman but lives in Paris uh, and he is uh, I don't know how would you going to describe yourself social documentary human condition editorial kind of photographer um yeah th hi, th th um, is that going to work for you yeah that sounds about right I mean I, th I think essentially you know photojournalist but you know um documentary photographer humanitary uh, photographer sort of looking at human interest stories that's probably and really more and more I think more frequently sort of consider myself as a storyteller as much as anything else um, and, and do you want to correct your nationality Kieran I, <laughs> I would love it. if the French state wanted to give me a French passport I'll, I'll do that any day but <laughs> um, I know I'm a Brit Brit living in living in France so living in Paris so yeah absolutely that that's me for sure very nice. How we're going to go straight into some questions. Actually, how how did you end up in Paris? Um, well, it's it, I've sort of had a connection with Paris for quite a while, to be honest with you. Um, ever since I was a child, um, it's probably one of the cities I know the best, if that makes sense. And you know, it was just a wonderful opportunity to to come here pre pre Brexit, and a great place to work and be based. Um, it's very central, and also sort of you couldn't really see you knew roughly what was happening with Brexit, but I think post-Brexit too, it, it, it definitely has advantage of being based in Europe as opposed to being in the UK. Um, yeah, and, and it's a great place to live and work. You know, and Paris is a beautiful city. Indeed. Uh, okay, well, look, <laughs> that, was a, that was a side question because I was personally curious how you ended up there. We're going we're gonna to go back to the beginning. So we'll, you know, there is, there is no real plan to these we just have this nice conversation but we're gonna we're gonna take you back and and think about how you started you were you were back in your teens when you first picked up a camera um and i'm curious you know i'm always curious or we're always curious about how people got started you obviously got a camera was that like a, an immediate passion or was it something that grew and, and and what impact did it have on you well, if I'm brutally honest, it, it was a means to an end at first because I wanted to do art history at university and where I wanted to study. Uh, so I was doing classics, art history and history at A-level. And I, I wanted to go to a particular institution, which was the Courtauld Institution in London, to do, you know, for university and to study art history. And I realised that they needed an art A-level as well. Um, and my I've always been really creative Um but I, it never translates visually, if that makes sense. So I could never draw as great, you know, if I, I could paint well, but it's literally colouring by numbers, if that makes sense. So knowing that, you know, there was a certain pressure, um, you know, to, to get that qualification. And I discovered that they'll take photography as well. And at that point, it was sort of just a toss up, really. I had no real interest in photography at that point. You know, it's like literally, you know, I know how bad my art is it can't be that difficult surely you know i'm bound to get a you know better better grade than if i you know did art um and so that's really essentially you know where it came from so i started 
you know, studying A-level photography, you know, really the kind of creative process really kind of grew on me and I really enjoyed it. And then you start to read about the, the history of photography and then sort of, you know, early, you know, documentary photographers and um, uh, photojournalists. And suddenly this whole kind of, you start to think, well, actually, this is really, really interesting. And actually this beats the being stuck in a gallery somewhere and, you know, um, getting to travel and see different people and experience different people um, is just, you, you know, a huge, you know, super exciting, really, and, and beats, you know, art history. So, you know, from that point on, it helps as well that if, you, um, if you're fairly good at it, yeah, I was quite fortunate in that respect. And then, yeah, so I didn't really look back and, you know, much to my mother's disgust and then, you know, photography straight straight through i think i can i can relate to the the mother's disgust i i had my mother tell me that i could do any job i wanted and if it was a passion that was even better and when i said oh it's all about photography she was like yeah that'll be a phase every young man goes through a phase of photography it'll be over in no time yeah. uh, well, apparently, I mean, I, I, no i mean i think thankfully you know, to be fair my parents have always been super supportive you know and you know she could see you know where my heart lay and and you know they were both really really helpful and you know she soon got on board and behind it you know so and who you know once you started your studying and learning about the early sort of beginnings of photography and, and early photojournalists who who was your inspiration did you have any inspirations any people you particularly looked up to yeah i think it was you know it was it was that sort of early co cohort of you know photojournalists who were really kind of pushing the boundaries of documentary photography you know very kind of like the that early magnum area i mean i loved cartier bresson you know going back to that paris connection we would go you know my family would go back to paris fairly regularly so that you know i started doing a lot of street photography and was quite influenced by what he did and then you know the work of kappa and then as you start to look at, you know, it was a really rich era in terms of photojournalism, like the 80s and 90s, you know, so much great work going on. Um, Tony Brothers were a huge inspiration, you know, and to me. Um, yeah, I, I think really it was, it, you know, probably, I mean, it sounds terribly cliched and boring, but, you know, you know, Bresson, Kappa and, and the Tony Brothers, you know, pretty, pretty much... Um, they would have been right early on the, the strongest influences for sure. Interesting. It's funny, actually, when I was looking through some of your work, particularly, uh, particularly your, your work on the, uh, the Hong Kong protests, I was thinking of Kappa's, you know, famous, if your, if your pictures aren't good enough, you're not close enough. And, and very much your, your work on the Hong Kong riots, you were right in the thick of it. Uh, and it actually made me, I was curious, how do you, as a photojournalist, go about remaining safe in that environment? Because obviously tempers are running high, the authorities can be rather heavy-handed. How how does that process work for you? Well, in terms of sort of managing the danger type of thing. Exactly, ma managing the danger, managing safety. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's, it's you, the more familiar you are to the environment, you know, experience counts for an awful lot. Um, I think you just you you really just need to be very sensible. You do need to be really careful. Um, I think you you also sort of watch where other people are, and you, it's really just kind of body language. And and also you can read situations like you you read crowds and you can see when 
it, it's it's a bit like a you know a piece of music it kind of rises and falls in, in terms of the tension and you can generally feel where, where things are i mean there are very sort of very you know straightforward things you i think having the right kind of equipment having a helmet especially is the most important piece of kit you know before a gas mask um and then just you know just being street smart that's probably the, the most important thing and um in being aware and also knowing uh, knowing where your exit points are and if something does happen you know where you, where's safe to be and 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 you know just really watching people's body language and, and stuff like that is probably the, the most important thing interesting i think that's you know from a, a non-photojournalist perspective it's something that that people always question and, and and try to wrap their head around those environments and 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 getting the images telling the story whilst not putting yourself in danger it's 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 quite a obviously challenging uh, um challenging thing to do yeah i mean it, it, it's tricky but i mean the other thing is that you're never on your own or you're you know there are so many journalists who are there um mm. and and so you know in a way you kind of had like you know police journalists protesters if that makes sense and you know the numbers were quite quite huge I, I think you've just got to make sure you you don't you don't stand directly in the line of fire when they're when they're shooting um uh rubber bullets you know it's just really sensible stuff and and making sure you know if you ch if they charge you you know you don't really want to be right in their way because they're going to you know, get pushed and kicked or whatever you know but that's it's just really kind of common sense to a certain extent um and just being, you know, just keeping your wits about you. A couple of years ago, um, Travel Photographer of the Year had a travel documentary uh, category. And we teamed up with Tim Allen, uh, Timothy Allen, who's doing the TAPSA scholarship scheme. And uh, you won the category with those shots of, of the Hong Kong protests. Tell us a bit about um, how that then unfolded with the, the TAPSA, TAPSA scholarship as part of your prize and you went to Sharjah to be mentored? I, I think, I mean, I was thrilled and, and you know, to be to be honoured and, and recognised in that way with, with the competition. It, it really it really was fantastic. It was the first prize that I'd won with that body of work. Um, and then I think, to, you know, to team, team up with Tim and also to, to go to Sharjah was an incredible experience. I think, you know, I was very fortunate in a way, it was a really good year to go. Um, because it was fair because of covid it was much more i think intimate um and you get to meet and talk to so many great photographers and it was just an incredibly kind of creative and inspiring environment to be around and so many like-minded people you know you learn an awful lot about how other people work you know how how they actually fund their work as well which is a big aspect of the industry now um you know and it you know it was just it was a, an incredibly fulfilling um time out there and and um one which i'm incredibly grateful to thank you chris you know and and, and to tim as well and, and you know it was a great opportunity to to meet so many great photographers as well um and just connect to people yeah just to explain to our listeners um tapsa is the scholarship scheme that tim set up and each year he chooses usually around half a dozen photographers from anywhere in the world, and they get invited 
um, to Sharjah at the time of the exposure exhibition, uh, which is what you're referring to, the collection of a, a group of photographers all coming to, to meet and talk and exchange ideas. It's a fantastic event. Um, and you had the extra time there to actually spend time with Tim and with those other photographers doing all sorts of, of things. What did you do? Well, I mean, we um, we spent some time as a group, and I think that was really interesting. Just kind of just discussing and and talking about you know the way to work and and a lot of the the issues that are very present at the moment within the industry. Um, how you can kind of just develop your own practice, really, and you know where each each of us particularly wanted to go with our work. Um, and that was really, you know, that was really interesting, different points of view and, and culturally too, because I think the um, uh, the other two photographers, one was from Turkey and one was from uh, Czech. Um, so they, that, that was really, um, it was great to hear different people's perspectives and and really thought-provoking about how, how they work, how you can take that into your own work and, and taking little bits and pieces from it. And just that that time together as a group with Tim, and obviously hearing Tim's experience too, you know, he's he's very experienced and, and he's he's gone about his work in a slightly unconventional or different way to other photojournalists, um, which was again, really interesting. Um, and then, you know, being part of Exposure as a whole, you know, going to a lot of the seminars, talking to a lot of colleagues out there. Yeah, and it was really, um, you know, it was really thought-provoking because I'd, I'd never really been, although I've sort of been kicking around for a long time, I'm, I've never really been to a festival um, completely dedicated to photojournalism before. I'd never been to Perpignan before. Um, and, yeah, and, and it was just, yeah, it was just a, a a wonderful you know creative experience and very refreshing he was timely too coming you know sort of half about a year after the pandemic you know everybody had been shut down it had been quite difficult to connect to people and you know work had, had uh, was more and more difficult it was difficult to travel um so yeah i think just everything about it was just incredibly positive and, and the timing was was excellent uh, it's interesting you you know I've been to exposure as well and and if that was your first experience of, of a festival unfortunately it's probably ruined you for pretty much every other festival um I've, I've been to visa visa's amazing but but exposure is just a whole other level of of interest and and experience that uh, you know is, is incredibly valuable um I was gonna say just yeah. just going back to you know you said that the uh, the the Tapsa scholarship was the first award you won with that body of, of Hong Kong work. Let's skip back a little bit further. What was your what was actually your first big break as a photographer? What kind of launched well, that, you? I think that was um, well. I, I kind of there there are two moments. I I met. Uh, I was doing. Um, I was at university and I had a very clear idea of what direction I wanted to take in terms of very focused on you know wanted to be a photojournalism a photojournalist you know i didn't really wasn't particularly interested in art photography or commercial photography I just you know very single-minded in that way and i met um the first first break was i met a picture editor at a party strangely enough and he then gave me a call uh, i was at the end of my second year he gave me a call 
a couple of months later and said, look, we've got this position going of a junior photographer. Do you want to come up and have a chat? I was like, okay, well, I'm at the end of my second year. But I, I went up and I had a chat. And in the end, I ended up leaving university and I took that position. And that was that was incredible because it was such a steep learning curve. And everything that I learned, you know, in the first six months of being, you know, a proper professional working photojournalist, still use every day now, you know, and I learned more in that six months than at any other point in my photographic education. You know, it was just unbelievably invaluable. So that was a huge stroke of luck. But I think my kind of big break was I was highly commended in another award, the Ian Parry Scholarship. Um, and I submitted a, a, another body of work that I'd shot on uh, uh, a photo story about the Circus Olympics. And I had a call probably about nine months later or something like that. By, it was sponsored by the Sunday Times magazine and it uh, still is. And the, the picture desk at the Sunday Times mag rang me up and they had a feature they wanted to do in Las Vegas on Cirque du Soleil. And they kind of connected with Circus and you know, they knew my work from the, the scholarship. And um, yeah, and they they phoned me, you know, can you go and shoot the story for us in, in, in Las Vegas? And that was like my first kind of proper foreign assignment, you know, and for you know, an assignment for the Sunday Times magazine. So that that really kind of that was the big, big break, I think. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. And in, I mean, in terms of assignments, you actually talked about sort of towards the end of COVID and, and going to exposure. I'm just going to pause there. I had a horrible feeling that was going to happen. Just have to cut that bit out because no one needs a phone ringing in the background. There we go. Right. Uh, so you you talked about uh, you talked about going to exposure towards the end of COVID, uh, like at the end of pandemic, and and work being maybe harder to find, assignments uh, being thinner on the ground. How do you go about getting work, securing assignments, uh, and, and indeed funding them? It's a real mix, you know, um, it's a mix between self-generated stories, you know, um, assignments that, you know, literally people you know, phone you up and say, can you go and do that? Um, and then, you know, just other long-term projects, which you know perhaps aren't necessarily going to directly uh, have a financial reward, but may, but may work as a body of work and, and yeah, um, give you give you something for your portfolio um i think you i pitch a lot of ideas to a lot of editors i mean pre it's very different now because covid's changed my way of working a, a lot because the trap firstly with the travel restrictions but also i think um things things have changed quite a lot since then um the, the, the just the way that people work and the way that picture desks assign, um, I get. I think they're more more cautious. Um, I mean, pre pre COVID, I would, if I wanted to shoot a story, I'd go and shoot a story, and then I will try and sell that predominantly. I mean, the idea of getting assigned is very unlikely now. Um, it and so I'd basically I'd self fund a trip and then make it pay for itself. Um, so once I was there, I tried to pitch ideas, pitch little stories within stories, um, and then just try and, you know, try and get, you know, work and assignments whilst I was there on the ground. Um, now that's much more difficult because of travel. You know, I did a lot of work in Asia. It's very difficult to travel into Asia now at the moment 
with pandemic. Um, similarly with Australia, I was out there covering the bushfires, really desperate to go back and do follow-up, but literally I left and within a month, everything had shut down the world. It was has lit, lit, literally ground to a halt. And Australia is really struggling, I think, um, with the restrictions and COVID. And, and, you know, it'll be, you know, the earliest it's going to be kind of like two years since I was there. Um, so it, it, is, it is difficult, but I think, you know, most of the work is, is sort of coming up with ideas and pitching ideas and essentially trying to sell it, you know. Um, and then, you know, shooting, you know, you might you might pick up assignments whilst you're there. Interesting. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the bushfires, actually, because, you know, having spent some time in your website looking at your work, things things like the bushfires, the, the Turkish-Greek border refugee, basically anything, because you like to deal with the human condition, you're dealing with a lot of, human suffering and tragedy at times how how do you deal with that mentally emotionally both at the time so in the moment and and afterwards does it have an effect on you how does it affect the way you shoot or, or the way you you view a situation i think the most important thing is, is to be sensitive to people as much as possible and sensitive to, to your subject so I think there's a there's a line and, and you know when you're going over stepping over the line and I think you know from my point of view in terms of my karma and my ethos I think as long as I treat people in, in a nice way that that's you know I can kind of walk away with a clear conscience if, if that makes sense um I mean it, it is very difficult and obviously it does you do carry it with you um especially I think the the refugee story, you know, it's, it is particularly hard because some of the stories that you hear, um, it's very tough and, and, and you can relate to people in, um, you know, there, I think with, you know, we're all essentially the same. We're just very, you know, very lucky to be born into a privileged position of being born in the West or, or being born in a, in a secure environment. And I think essentially, you know, we all love our, children we all love our families you know we all get up in the morning go for a pee you know we're exactly the same and and it's really tough uh, to see people in in you know struggling so much and being treated so badly um so i think that's probably that's the story that's left the kind of the biggest impact um and um but you know going back to your question it's i don't know i i think just treating people in a dignified way and respecting their boundaries and, and talking to them as you know uh, normal people and humanizing people too i think that's really important so that people become you know they're actually individuals as opposed to an adjective if that makes sense or, or um or you know I, I think in that way it's it's easier to deal with so turning that back on you um you know it must have an emotional impact on you as well. How do you decompress? How do you detach yourself from the kind of suffering that you've seen and photographed? Or don't you? I kind of like to think that, well, I like to think that I'm not detached from it. Um, I think if you are too detached, then that's really difficult because you've got to have some kind of emotional um, connection. Otherwise, you, you can't engage with people, and I think that that connection is really important. Um, in terms of how you kind of decompress and stuff like that, I, well, I'm very lucky. I've got a great family. Um, 
who are very supportive of, of my work. It's always great to you know come back and just do normal things and spend time um, with them. Um, you know, go and play tennis with my daughter, or you know, kick a ball around that that kind of thing. I think that really kind of in simple things is you know even kind of like taking the trash out. You know, that kind of normality is quite important to have. I think, um, although I'm sure that um, back home they'll complain that I, I don't I don't take the trash out enough. <laughs> But, but it's that it's that those kind of simple things and and um also and knowing i think knowing that you like to think that you can make a difference um but also sort of being pragmatic about it. you and really it would be lovely to think that you can change the world um but i think realistically if you can change one or two people point of view and make a difference in, in smaller numbers which i think is much more achievable much more realistic then i think that's kind of slightly it's easier to deal with um because uh, I, you, it's just more pragmatic you know because you can't you can't come back and think oh well, i'm going to make a difference i'm going to change the world and, and change you know these pictures are going to change people's understanding of the, the situations or, or anything like that so when when those those results aren't delivered. It's not such a big shock, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So yeah, a balance. I think a bit, a bit of kind of normality and having reasonable expectations um, with the work. I think that actually kind of answers maybe an, another question that, that we had a, a think about before, which is, you know, as you gain more experience, you've obviously taken that path from from being a very young photographer to still being a very young photographer but maybe slightly less young uh, gaining yeah. getting that experience what you know what of the experience that you've got now would you wish you'd known when you were the younger you or or would you like to pass on to younger photographers just starting out particularly those in in sort of documentary photojournalism human suffering kind of fields i, I think you'd be much more I think you've got to be yourself. I think don't try and pretend to be somebody you're not. I think that's really important. And then I think I probably, my biggest advice to a younger me would be much more in, in kind of career terms, less than, you know, photographic or how you interact with people. And I, I think, you know, I would advise any young photographer to know how to sell. I think selling is like the most important thing because it's often a really difficult balance. And you have lots of financial pressures. Um, it's a really tough industry to be in. And I think, you know, knowing how to sell and also being a little bit braver, I think, in terms of every, you know, everybody procrastinates. You know, and and um, a lot of photographers have kind of imposter syndrome too. And I, I think you just need to be, you know, a lot braver and a, a bit more now a little bit bolder in terms of not being afraid to pick up the phone and call a picture editor um i think that that's really important oh well going on from now and what are your current projects what what, what are you working on at the moment um well i'm, I'm currently working on a long-term project in armenia and sort of post-war armenia which is um, a really interesting culture and a, and a great place to work um and so that that's kind of you know, um, kicking along in the background. I've sort of been out there twice this year and I'm shortly going to go out for a third time. Um, and then I'm working on a current 
a couple of projects that are literally just ready to go, but I'm just waiting to to get back into Asia. Um, as soon as soon as the travel restrictions lift, then I'll, I'll be heading off that way. Um, I'd like to do some sort of follow up on Hong Kong, um, but I think that's much more that's more more difficult, and that will come in probably a few years. Um, as opposed if to, you're working on on projects that you're selling on later on, where do your ideas come from? What what stimulates an interest that you think might be a saleable story? Uh, I think they're two separate issues. Um, sellable interests, sellable stories. Um, they're they're definitely reading. Really, you know, you've really just got to consume so much information. Um, listening to podcasts actually. Podcasts are a great source of ideas. Um, read lots. Um, you know, just be generally in tune with um, day-to-day media, um, and also, and with that, I think it's really important to not just w- read one outlet. You know, you've really got to um, look across different uh, streams um, because you can start to see. Yeah, um, different editorial policies of different publications, and really, you know, where they're focused. So it's really important to to get lots of different information, and 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 you can start to see which publications what like certain types of stories, um, and and you know, cater for that directly. Um, and then what inspires me? Well, I'm very visually um, orientated. So there are some stories which are fantastic stories, but lend themselves much more to words than they do visually. So, you know, I, there are certain topics that you think, well, okay, well, that can make a great photograph, you know, and then try to find, you know, what the human story is from there and, and how you can illustrate it, you know, maybe in a different way, a less obvious way, um, but have that kind of visual impact. Interesting. And so given that you're working on these longer term projects where where might you see yourself in in five years time ten years time obviously the pandemic's affecting your timelines a little bit i guess but you know what are you what if anything are you working towards in in five ten years time what what, what are your goals well i i think just continue to do interesting and meaningful work i think you know if if i can look back in 10 years time you know i've continued doing that then that that would be great um and also sort of on subjects that interest you and that you know and take taking good visually strong pictures i think if you know i can continue to do that 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 would be great i don't really have super long-term goals in terms of long long-term projects that are that i'm working on there are a couple that i'd like to do but you know they're really long long-term projects require such a large financial investment they're quite difficult to sustain um especially now so yeah I, I think you know keep keeping things to an achievable level if i can you know stay stay alive which would be always be a good thing and then um and just continue to do good work that'll be you know, that, that's really where i'm going i think it, it always fascinates me that um many photographers kind of fund their own work and then look to make an income from it later I I work with a lot of travel journalists and most of them don't do anything unless they've got everything paid for in advance um I personally think that's a really limiting way to to work but um, I'm fascinated that you have got so many interesting things on the go at any one time and you're investing in yourself 
yeah, I mean, wow. I mean, they're really lucky. Well, I'd love to have a piece of that. <laughs> you know, I wish it was like that. Uh, sadly, I mean, I think, you know, from my experience anyway, you know, it's not like that. And I think you really need to, in order to actually maintain a, a living, you need to diversify as much as possible. And that often includes, you know, you need to look at lots of different stories and lots of different approaches to those stories. Um, because there's so there's so much content out there and there's so many great photographers out there it's you know it's really it's tough and you've really got to fight um i mean i, I they by self-funding it is a privileged position in a way because you have less uh, you have more control in terms of what you want to do but i mean it's also it's a huge risk you know because you know you're 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 backing yourself um i mean i'll always back myself if that makes sense always have that confidence that i can go and do good work um but it you know it, you you do need to be savvy and and you there are some stories that you would love to do that you could back yourself but you know simply just will not see a financial return and i think as long as you understand that that's fine going out and doing it but you know that that's going to be a you know a portfolio piece or a piece that you use to market yourself but you know um there are definitely you you do need to be acutely aware that that there are some stories that simply won't won't make it back financially no i think backing yourself would be another great bit of advice for for younger photographers and i think it's probably the perfect place to to draw this podcast to an end so thank you very much kieran that's been really well, fascinating well, thanks guys it's great to talk to you hey, thank you thank you very much it, it, it has been you know um as chris said it's been fascinating it's been enlightening as well and i think your passion comes across um very strongly and and your desire you said you know you you accept that you're not going to change the world but your desire to at least somewhere make some kind of difference um is is refreshing and i think too many people end up being jaded after a while um, but but the fact that you know, if, as you say, if you can change one or two people, then it, maybe that's that's enough for you. So uh, yeah, thank you very much for for chatting to us. No worries. Thanks, guys.